people stand up. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Mavuno. Let's just remain standing because we know who's really in charge here, don't we? Father, we just want to give you all the glory and all the honor to say that, Lord, everything that happens here happens because of you. We honor you for this great church that you have created. We thank you for all the great things you have done among us. And as we hear testimonies of your greatness, the things you're doing on our behalf, we say not to us, but to your name be all the glory and the honor and the praise, for you are worthy, Lord. And so right now, as we come to your word, receive the glory, receive the praise, and we just commit ourselves to you and say we are yours. Use us to do your work. For we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people say it. Come on, let's give a big applause to our Father before we sit. To God be the glory. Amen. Please have your seats. And uh, just uh, for me, I must say, this is a, an, an incredible time of faith as we uh, face the things Pastor Monique is talking about, uh, this move that is coming. It's, uh, it's a very amazing time for me to see what God has allowed us to be able to do in that short time, uh, to be able to raise 120 million. You know, what we are setting out to do, I want to just tell you, I don't think I've ever said this, it's actually impossible. It can't be done. Uh, the, the amounts we're trusting God for, the huge things, they're actually impossible. And I remember having a chat with a friend of mine who was giving me some advice about how to fundraise for a church. He has a church. Uh, they've done some fundraising. And, he, and when he heard what we were doing, he said, it doesn't make sense. Uh, because he said, in my culture, he wasn't from this culture. He said, in my culture, you look at your projected income based on your previous income. And then you make a faith step based on your previous projections. And he said, what you're doing right now doesn't match with your previous projections. It doesn't work. And I said, you know, I don't get it because I thought faith is <laughs> being sure of what you don't have. I didn't think that faith was projections. I thought faith was actually trusting God for the impossible. And so he, he said, you know, this doesn't work because no bank understands impossible. They want to see projections. I said, okay, praise God. I'm not trusting the bank. I'm trusting the Lord of heavens for this. It's only God who can take us through this. And so just thank you for every one of you who've taken that step of faith. Many of you have given finances you never thought you'd ever have. And God is coming through. And we are praying. Uh, Pastor Tosha shared there at 60%. I know I'm praying for him. He's my prayer partner. Uh, praying for him as well because I know he's taken some serious uh, faith steps there. And I'm trusting that God will teach us that he's the God of the impossible. That when he comes through for us with this project as a church, we will know that there's nothing we cannot trust God for. Because for our God, nothing is impossible. And so let me encourage you. We are at that stage right now where we do need to start procuring. There are lots of things we need to start ordering right now. And let me encourage you, if you have made your pledge, this is a time for you to trust God. Bring it into the house. And for those of you who are at that place where you haven't yet, maybe you joined us recently, uh, ask for a pledge card and become part of what God is doing uh, as we trust God for the impossible. Now, I also want to... Oh, yeah, Pastor Thomas said that he's going to be here to see anybody who would like to uh, participate uh, at Fearless. Was that at Fearless? Is that what yours? Or for outreach? Okay, anybody who'd like to... By the way, I sent my, my, my daughter yesterday... Uh, she really wanted to go, so I sent her with a friend, uh, and she came back. She had a blast. I think they had like 35 kids uh, that she was looking after uh, because they had a, a, a first aid training in one of the estates, and she was in charge of the kids, helping look after the kids. She's eight years old. She had a blast. And so this is something you might want to sign up and just say, I want to come for one weekend and participate in doing some training for the neighborhood uh, because what we're doing is we're just, we're just giving service and being a blessing to the people who are moving into the area. And so if Pastor Thomas will be at the info desk, if you have some skill you'd like to share with, or just come and be a blessing, uh, feel free to do that. And then also let me just say thank you for every one of the 230 people who signed up last week to be part of a life group. So, so excited uh, that you've taken that step of faith. Uh, come on, let's just appreciate every single one of those who, who took that step and say we're going to trust God. And we've called you already by now. We've called every single one of you. And I know there's going to be some, an event very soon, a, a mixer and a connector, just to get our group started. So if you didn't, make, uh, uh, you didn't get a chance to sign, then please uh, talk to, uh, come, come to, still to the info desk after this. We'd love to just get you, get you the information about how you can become part of a community of mighty men and women. So let me ask you my question. What's your arrival story? What's your arrival story? You don't know what an arrival story is. So I explain. All right, arrival story is what you hope to one day be able to do for yourself when you finally arrive. <laughs> so so, so not, not for the world, not for the children of the world and all the ministries and all the, you know, it's not for those, for you. What's your arrival story? I can tell you what mine is. Mine has two words, first class. Some people like private jets. I'm not even there. 
Uh, for me, it's just first class. Uh, you know, I first went on a plane when I think I was probably 16. Uh, I went to Zimbabwe. My parents had paid for it. And I remember just being in awe that I was actually off the ground. I mean, this thing is taking me. It was such a big deal. And I, I remember I kept that ticket, I think, throughout the whole of... Uh, I mean, it was such a big deal for me to get on a plane. And I loved it. But as I got a little older, I began to realize that when you, whenever you enter the big plane, you pass some other people. I mean, do you ever know? I mean, and these guys, it's like they're sitting, they're sipping drinks, they're reading magazines, and they're looking with such pity at the rest of you, like, oh my gosh, there are people like you. And you're going back to that cattle where you're stuck in the back with a big guy who's just leaning on you. And I began to look at that place and think one day. And then I realized that's only called business class. There's another class where they do, you don't see them. And these guys, by the time you're getting into the plane, they're already asleep. They've had their supper, they've relaxed, and they're getting ready. So I just thought, Lord, one day as I preach the gospel, of course the gospel has to be there somewhere. I would love to be in first class. You know, it's like, I, I want to go first class. Because it's like, you know, by the time you guys are getting on the plane, uh, man, I'll be ready for ministry. I'll have already been praising God. And you know, it's, it's, it's not like, a, you know, a private jet, nobody will know. I want you to see me passing as you're being called. You see the guys, be, you know, okay, that's my fantasy. Okay, that's my arrival story. What's your arrival story? Come on, share with your neighbor. When you, how will you know you've arrived? What will you do for yourself when you've arrived? What's your arrival story? The one thing you're going to do to spoil yourself when you get there. Some of you are already there. You can share what you're doing. It's okay. You won't intimidate us. Even us, we know we're coming. So just share with your neighbor. What's your arrival story? <laughs> I'm actually going to send Pastor Thomas into the audience and, and see if we can actually hear a couple of arrival stories. Hey. Encourage somebody in the Lord right now. <laughs> okay, so let me see. You, we want to hear a couple of arrival stories. And if, you, if your neighbor has a really good one, you can actually put up your hand on their behalf and, and get them to share, share that arrival story because everybody else has got to hear it. So, Pastor M, there's somebody here who's really excited. I can, I can actually see them smile, yeah? Okay. So, let's see what's their arrival story. There you go. All right, everybody. Okay, listen to this one. Tell us your name and your arrival story. Um, my name is Stacy, And her arrival story is she said she would love not to pay rent, like, ever. And she doesn't care where it is. She just wants a nice compound and a nice environment. Yeah. So, live in a different place. No, she wants to never have, have to pay rent. Never to pay rent? Yes. Hey, okay. Arrival story. When I'm not paying rent, I've arrived. Pewa, all right, in the okay. name of Jesus. So, May it be so yours. All right, somebody else. Arrival somebody. story. For some, how many people, arrival story has no rent included in it? Uh, I will not be paying rent at that point. Okay, fantastic. Ah. The rest of you like rent. That's fine. Uh, somebody else, That's share sad. a story. Okay, so Ruthie here. Ruth is nominating her uh, neighbor. My name is Ruth, and my friend here said that she'd like, uh, when she arrives, she will have this Range Rover Vogue. Yeah, that one. Range Rover Vogue. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Okay. Oh, there's somebody there. Okay, <laughs> Range Rover Vogue. Wow. That's, that in, that's, a, that's quite a story, by the way. Have you ever entered those cars? You know, there's some cars you enter, and then you wonder, what do I drive? Why? I have a friend who has one of those. I tell you, there's some serious cars. Okay, when you arrive, you'll be driving one of those. Somebody else. Uh, my name is Penina. Penina. My friend here would love to have a farm with white horses. <laughs> a farm with white horses. But Stem, the soaps are working. Let me tell you, this is serious. <laughs> You've been watching soaps, Pastem. A, a farm <laughs> with white horses. I'll be your visitor, please. Uh, Even me, I want to have a friend who has a farm with white horses. That's quite... <laughs> can we have one on this side? Oh, this, one on this guy is also half fantasies, I'm wow. sure. Okay. Uh, somebody here wants to arrive and has a story. Uh, anybody on this side, just, just call Pastor Thomas to your neighbor and they can share their fantasy story. Somebody this, here? You guys on this side uh, might be good. somewhere. As you there's never someone know. here. Oh, percent. there's somebody over there. Okay. Yeah, so, Uh, my name is Boniface, and I have a friend of mine who is uh, like to have an island, full island, oh, and uh, that will be their home. <laughs> I want to own an island. Hey, okay. 
Let me just say, my rival story is very small at this point. I think I need to upgrade <laughs> my rival. <laughs> I need to upgrade from first class, clearly. <laughs> wow. What are you going to do when you arrive? This is, we want to talk a bit about this today. And uh, before I just jump into that, let me bring us up to speed. We're talking about courage. That's what our series uh, is about. So don't worry about arrival. We're going to get there just now. You're going to understand what this has to do with that. But for our visitors, we're going through a series called Unafraid. And we're looking at five... Uh, Five character qualities of true courage from the life of one of the most courageous men who ever lived, uh, King David in the Bible. And we're learning about courage from him. First day, we learned that the fact that, you know, if you really want to have courage, you must be aligned. Because true courage, uh, the foundation is alignment. And we said, you know, if you know what God wants in every situation, you know what your maker wants, you know you have divine wind behind you, you know you can't fail. And you will do things that everybody else thinks is impossible. And so this is why we said you must understand what God's will is in your situation. And if you must begin to get into a habit of understanding God's will. And if you do that, then you're guaranteed to be courageous, to be unafraid. Next, the next week we talked about the, fact that the, the second quality, which is enduring. We say that, you know, for you to have true courage, uh, true courage is built by endurance. And we said when many people run away from the wilderness, they run away from those unyielding, difficult situations. But those of us who know God, what we need to do is lean into them. Find strength in God in them. And many times what God does, He turns pain into platform. And God is able to use whatever difficult situation you're going into to become a factor of your purpose in time going forward. And we learned that, you know, we must not run away from the wilderness. Many times we must embrace it because God has plans and things that He is doing are for us. Last week we learned the third quality of true courage. True courage never walks alone. And we said, look, King David had mighty men, a mighty man, uh, an army of mighty men uh, around him who helped him accomplish his purpose, even more courageous than himself. And we say that, listen, if you want to be a person who is unafraid, you must surround yourself with other courageous people. Who are your mighty men and women? And this is why many of us signed up for Life Group last week because we said, look, we don't want to walk through life alone because there are some challenges you're not meant to face uh, by yourself. Now, today we want to discuss the fourth quality of true courage, from the life of this great man, David. And so I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And there's an amazing story. I'm sorry, I say this every week. <laughs> I know you must be thinking, surely they can't only just be amazing. But the stories about David, they're just amazing. Every single one of them. I haven't found a story I didn't like about King David. So this is a really amazing one. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 to 17. And then I'll read verse 26 to 27. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 to 17 is where we'll start. And as you're turning there by way of background, let me bring you up to speed with where we are in this story. It's a bit farther ahead in David's life. 15 difficult years in the wilderness. Uh, he's gone through such difficult times. The wilderness seemed an, an ending. He, 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 he probably felt he'll never be able to achieve what God had told him to achieve. Uh, it looked like it would never end. But finally it came to an end. Within a very short time, King Saul was killed in battle with his sons with, uh, with him. And David found himself crowned king by a united Israel. For 20 years after that, it was one win after another. David decimated Israel's enemies. He found himself at the place where the Philistines, by the way, the Philistines had plagued Israel for over a century. Within 20 years, David was able to completely finish the Philistines. You don't hear about the Philistines again. He demolishes them. Uh, he's at the place where he's become so successful. He's already by now the greatest king that Israel already uh, had ever had. And he's only 40, somewhere between 45 and 50 years old at the top of his game. And this is when we begin uh, to read this story about the man who had arrived. David, uh, story of David and Bathsheba, 2 Samuel chapter 11. I read from verse 1. And it says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. So one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home 
the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was and how the soldiers were and how the war was going. <laughs> then David said to Uriah, go to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why did you go home? <laughs> Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Job and my Lord's men are camped in open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, Can you stay here one more day? And tomorrow I'll, I'll, I'll send you back. So Ryan remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. But in the evening... Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it to Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this powerful, powerful word. Lord, it's not just any word. It's not just any book. This is a book that for thousands of years has transformed lives of people, has changed them. Because, Lord, within this written word is a living word. God is able to take his Holy Spirit and animate this word. So it changes us and makes us different. And I thank you because, Lord, within these pages is, is, a, is a source of life for us. And so I pray that, Lord, as we read your word, as we come as a community together to study it, to understand it, that, Father, you would send that same Holy Spirit who inspired its writing. And that, Lord, you would speak to every single one of us. I pray that, Lord, we would hear the voice of our Maker. And that, Lord, every one of us would leave this place with clear understanding of what your desire is for us. Father, we resist any work of the evil one that would keep us from understanding your word. We resist him right now. And we bind him and we cast him to the place that is prepared for him. And we speak that, Lord, in this place, there will be clear understanding and revelation of your purpose. For that is what you desire for your people. We invite you now, Lord. And I ask that, Lord, people would not hear me, but they would hear you. And you would be glorified. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, the Bible never fails to surprise me. I mean, if I was writing a spiritual book to help holy people to become more godly, <laughs> I would write stories about holy men and women who carry Bibles and preach in marketplaces and bring people to Jesus. I'd, 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 I'd write stories about spiritual people who have halos, who don't even step on cockroaches. They are so holy. They're just nice people. So tell me somebody, how did this story get in the Bible? <laughs> Think about it. It's, it's an amazing story. It belongs more in a Mexican soap than in God's holy word. I mean, this is a story about a rich, bored man who has all the power, who, who, who looks over his roof one day and he sees a stunning, beautiful, black-haired woman taking a bath. And he looks at her and he falls in love at first sight. And he finds out that she is married though to one of his most loyal employees, a man who would give his life for him. So what does he do? He gets her and sleeps with her. And he not only does that, he sends for the husband and kills him so that he can get the woman he wants. I mean, this is, this is messed up. 
This is a story of revenge, of adultery, of lust, of deceit. This, if it was a movie, I wouldn't let my kids watch it. By the way, there's, there's this uh, series called The Bible. I don't know if some of you have seen it. Uh, it's very recent. It's by the guy who did uh, uh, the, 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 the Survivor. Uh, he's called Mark Barnett. You know, you know Mark Barnett. He's, he's done The Apprentice. So he did this series called The Bible. And I, I don't know if, I guess the guy is doing the David and Bathsheba story part. My wife and I actually had to watch it first to say, can our kids watch this? And actually at the end we said, uh, let's wait for them to grow a little older. Uh, and it's not that he does anything X-rated. It's just, this story is X-rated. It's really amazing that a story like this made it in the Bible. Now, last time we looked, David was the poster child of true courage. He was the man who was aligned with God. The man who endured everything. The man who walked with others, didn't walk alone. The man who every one of us wanted to be. So how does a man like David, who loves God so much, end up in a place like this? In fact, the question we should be asking is, if David, who loves God so much, could end up blowing up like this, what hope is there for us? <laughs> I read this and I think, what hope is there for people like us? Now, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how to overcome, how to have courage when you face challenges. Whether it's impossible giants, whether it's unending wildernesses, whatever it is, we've been talking about the fact that you can be unafraid in those kinds of situations. Now, I pray that many of you have become encouraged. I've talked to different ones of you who say, this has given me perspective. I feel like I will make it now. I understand what God is doing. And I thank God for that. But I believe that this story takes us to the next level. It begins to warn us of, of dangers that we've not even encountered for many of us yet. There are dangers that are not even uh, experienced when you're still in the wilderness. And this is the danger of success. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said that <laughs> nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him success. Actually, he said give him power, but power is just one of those things that comes with success, isn't it? And so this is a different ballgame. David finds himself in a place of success. What is success? Success is relative, depending on all of us. Every one of us had a success story, something we want to do when we're successful. Success looks different. And all of us have probably tasted success in different ways. Some of you are the first to get married in your class. And all the girls looked at you and they were all your bridesmaids. And they wondered, oh my gosh, how was she so lucky? Some of you just got beautiful babies. Do you know what those babies were? It's unfair. <laughs> it's like, really? I mean, how, does, how do you have a baby that looks like that? And it's like everybody who sees that just wants, oh, oh so cute. And it's like, that's success for many people. It's like you, you've got great looking children. For some of us, it's a prestigious job with a well-known multinational. You just say one word and everybody knows who you are. And they, they take you training, they take you across all countries, and they give you exotic training experiences, and everybody looks at you and wishes that they were you. Some of us have tasted that kind of success. Maybe you got an MBA from a prestigious university, and you don't even need to write a CV, you just write where you went to school. Everyone wants to hire you. You're different. You're a cut above the rest. For some of us, our business is finally beginning to do well. Some of us are living in the suburb of our dreams. We're living in the leafy suburbs. Some of us are driving the car of our friends' dreams. You know, they're cars of your dreams and then they're cars of your friends' dreams. Where everybody sees your car and they're eating their hearts out every time you drive into Mavuno Church. They're, some of us are living uh, that kind of dream. Some of you have that silver credit card. You know the silver credit card? I, I never used to know that this was such a big deal in Nairobi. There are some cards, not all credit cards are equal. <laughs> have you realized that? There are some other cards where you just slip it out. In fact, you do it with flourish and you say, I got this. When you're paying the bill and everybody knows, yeah, he's got that. You know, it's like, yeah, this guy, he doesn't line up in banks like the rest of us. This guy goes and has coffee while they take his money from him. I mean, this guy is living in a completely different environment. He breathes different air from the rest of us. Many of us have those markers of success. And by the way, even within the church, even among God's people, within faith, there are still signs of success there. We can succeed there as well. There are many of you who would say, I came to Mavuno, I couldn't even pray, I had so many issues, I couldn't handle my life. But I don't struggle like that anymore. Praise God. Now I pray and the angel's here. You know, I'm the one helping other guys grow in their faith. I'm not there where I used to be. I'm arriving in some way or the other. Now, regardless of what success looks like, all of us want to succeed. Every single one. None of us wants to be mediocre. Every one of us desires success in one form or the other. And that's why we dread the hard times. That's why we don't like the wildernesses. That's why we want them to end so we can enter our season of success. 
But the reality is, even though hardship shakes the faith for many, the majority of people are found, majority of Christians are found who went through a difficult situation, the majority of them actually grow in their faith. You know, hardship actually strengthens us for most of us. Many of us, it shakes away everything else so we're left clinging on God alone. And when we're done with it, we can say, yes, it wasn't something I enjoyed, but at the end of it, I'm actually stronger. It didn't kill me, it made me stronger. That's what hardship does for many people. But success, success is a different story altogether. Many times in success, it's very easy for us to be blinded by the fact that our greatest dangers are yet ahead of us. That there's some things that we don't often reckon with that are hidden because the dangers of success are actually hidden. They're not as overt as the ones we face when we're going through difficulty. And one of the biggest dangers in times of success is the danger of pride. And this is what we're learning about in the life of this great man. The danger of pride. Because you see, true courage is undermined by pride more than anything else. True courage is undermined by pride. I actually believe that's a story that we learned today, the quality of courage we need to learn from this passage. True courage is undermined by pride. And this story shows us some warning signs of pride in this great man's life. I want us to look at them and see whether we identify with any of them in our own life. The first warning sign that we note in David's life is a loss of passion. A loss of passion. Verse 1 tells us, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So, so the kings are meant to go to war, but who does he send? He sent other people instead. You know, in those days, nobody fought in the winter because the, the weather was horrible, the roads were impassable. But in the spring, and what they did in the winter is that it was a time to restock, to re-energize, to rest. And then when the spring came, you went out to defend your nation's borders. That's what everybody did. But you see, for David, he was rested. It wasn't a time when he was tired. He had no excuse. He should have actually been there. In fact, in the earlier days, David was the kind of leader who went out. He's not the leader who told people, go and fight for me. If you remember the story we read about him with, uh, with uh, Abishai, when he actually went into the suicide mission himself. He's the kind of leader when he saw danger, he led, and then people followed him. I love that about him. There are too many leaders who tell people, you guys go. Uh, I'll be praying for you. Uh, David was not that kind of leader. He was the kind of leader who led from the front. So what we see here is completely uncharacteristic. That David should have been fighting with the men, but now that he was successful and accomplished, he stayed back in comfort while his men were out there doing all the fighting. You see, by this time, I suspect that David had fought so many battles. He had won so many battles, it had become routine for him. The thrill had gone. The passion had oozed out. It wasn't something that excited him as much. He had fought lions and bears and giants and armies. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I'm done. I don't want to fight anymore. And he just preferred to stay home as his army was doing the fighting. You see, success has a way of dulling our passion. That's what success does for many of us. It dulls our fire. I've seen this with so many people over the years. As they begin to succeed, as the things they're praying for come to pass, that something begins to happen to the passion that burned so brightly in those wilderness years. Oh, they were the first to praise God. They were the first ones serving in church. They were the first ones in every worship night. They were there. But as success came, they got different reasons not to be there. First thing they said is, I can't come to serve. Why? You know, now I have a husband. <laughs> I have children. What, you know, I need to look after them. My, my, I got a promotion. I have a new car I need to take to the garage. It was new thing. It was things that actually had made a lot of sense when you thought about it at the time. But typically what happens is you just see it one step after the other. They're no longer passionate about serving. They're no longer passionate about coming to church. They find different things to be doing. And then after that, it's, I'm no longer as passionate about prayer. I'm no longer as passionate as read, about reading God's word. Loss of passion is a warning sign. It's a huge warning sign for pride. And so let me ask you today, I want to check our passion meters. On a scale of one to five, if five is on fire and one is cold, cold as ice, how hot is your passion for the things of God? Yes. Rate yourself right now. I want you to write it down in your notepad if you're writing it in your phone. How hot is your passion for God and for the things of God? Some of you know that you've been passionate, way passionate, more passionate than you are right now. So just be honest. By the way, you're not going to share this with your neighbor, so just be very honest. Uh, this is just for you. 
this is a time of diagnosis. We're going to do a little diagnostic here. On a scale of one to five, how passionate, how hot are you for God and for the things of God? Let's just be as honest as we can because this gives God a chance then to begin to speak to us about what we must do. We're going to talk a bit about passion next week. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to jump more into that very important topic for leadership and for courage. But remember, low passion is often caused by pride. And true courage is undermined by pride. Let's move to the next warning sign. Second warning sign number two. Weakened boundaries. Weakened boundaries. A passage tells us that David saw a stunningly beautiful woman naked. And you know, there's nothing wrong with your eyes seeing the wrong thing. Eyes were built to see. I mean, you can't stop your eyes from stumbling onto something. It wasn't, he wasn't looking for it. He wasn't on the roof saying, which beautiful women can I see bathing today? That's not what he was doing. The, the dude was just doing his, he was just doing around. So his eyes landed on something they should not have landed on. What do you do at that point? That's a true test. And David, he continued to look and he continued to imagine and he fantasized and he carried out his fantasy. This is where he went wrong. His boundaries completely moved, unmoved. I mean, this is a guy who, the Bible said, the king's role was to defend justice. He was the one who was to look after the poor and the rights of the oppressed. But this king, he took the law into his own hands and he acted like he was above the law. Like it did not apply to him. You know, some people think that Bathsheba had something to play with it. They think, they're like, David can't have been such a good guy. And then all of a sudden, he finds a chick and just lands in bed with her. Surely, she must have seduced him. I've read people who actually say that. I want to say the Bible does not support that uh, interpretation at all. This is a man with absolute power who uses and abuses his office to take advantage of somebody who has no power in that situation. Success has a way of weakening our moral boundaries. With success, people begin to feel accomplished, arrived, I'm there. The law doesn't apply to me anymore. The rules that bind normal, ordinary people are not for people like myself. I've marveled recently at our members of parliament. Anybody who's been shocked by those guys and ladies? What? I mean, recently they were soliciting for our votes. They were such humble servants of the people. I will serve you. Give me your vote. We need change that we can believe in. <laughs> we, need, we, need we need a different order. Isn't this what they told us? How many months is it since we elected them? And already they're saying, how, how dare you pay us this much? Do you know how much we were earning? Somebody said that the other day. Did you even know what I was earning before I became an MP? I said, didn't you know what we were paying you by the time you applied for that job? But here they are. They're, they're determined by every... They want to change the constitution. By the way, I support an amendment. We need to do a recall and get those guys out of parliament. We need to get them out. This is not servant leadership. How dare they do that? How dare they not even care about this? And you know what happens? It's a, it's a ripple effect. Because now everybody else is going to start protesting. Because the teachers actually have a, they have a point. They've been oppressed for too long. But you know, they could have held on if somebody told them, let's do it for the good of the nation. But why are we holding on when those guys are paying themselves? And you know what's going to happen soon? You're going to see the doctors back again. And you'll see the dentists there. And you see every single person fighting for their rights because leadership has failed in this country. And you ask yourself, why have they changed so much? This is the danger of success. This is the danger of people who arrive and they feel we're now there. We're different from everybody else. But you know, as I've reflected on their situation, I've realized that this happens to us as Christians as well. That many, for many, many times, the thing that begins to happen with success is we begin to, we change. You know, somebody right now, before they were just somebody, now they are being called Mueshimiwa. There's a difference, isn't it? People start noticing you and you change and you start believing it. It happens to us as well. And as you grow older in life, as you begin to succeed, I've noticed this happening to myself. People begin to recognize you. And you see people greeting you like, hi! And you're like, it's like, I don't know who they are, but they know you. And you, you, you enter places and people treat you as a personality, not as a person anymore. And people are waiting on you and they're ushering you into places and they're recognizing you. People start laughing at your jokes when you know they're not funny. This is, by the, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's some people, they walk into the room, they crack a joke and everybody, ha, 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 ha. 
and they, they didn't say anything funny, but it's, they said it. It's, it must be funny, you know? It's like we give them so much attention. And this is what happens as you begin to succeed. I, I can tell you this. As you are entering your 40s as a man, this begins to happen to you. Something changes. You know, you no longer are the gangly young man trying to impress every woman. This is what happens. When you're a young guy, you're feeling really cool, <laughs> you know? You get to a certain age, you no longer need to impress anybody. And you're just yourself. And you walk into the room, people know you're there. Waitresses start smiling across from the restaurant. I'm telling you this now as a confession. This actually, I've, I've noticed this happen. Waitresses are smiling. A waitress on that side, she's not even the one serving your table. She's smiling. She never used to smile when you're 25, trying to impress her. Maybe it's a cologne you're wearing that's different. Maybe it's the car keys you're holding casually as you walk. Maybe it's just the fact that you're not trying to impress. You, you're, you're yourself. And you're attractive in that way. And you know what begins to happen? It goes to your head. You start to notice it. You start to feel, I'm different. The rules no longer apply to me. I can get away with things I didn't think I could get away with back in the day. Let me ask you a question. How are your boundaries? What's the state of your moral boundaries? We want to do a little test. Scale of one to five. Five, very strong. Number one, non-existent. <laughs> They don't exist anymore. What is the state of your moral boundaries? How are you at this place? Are you, how, what are your sexual boundaries like? What is your management of money like? What, what is your, how, how are you handling yourself in the area of boundaries? Just give yourself a score right now. It's okay. Nobody's going to see. By the way, don't copy your neighbor's answer. This is your, this is your test for you alone. And you're the only one who's going to see those results. You won't show them to Pastor M. So just give yourself a, a score on that one as well. Please, please write it somewhere. Because what tends to happen is your mind can play tricks on you later, and you forget the grade you gave yourself. So, so please note it down somewhere, uh, because I want you to make sure you know what your, your, your grade is. Remember, weak boundaries are a symptom of pride, and true courage is undermined by pride. Third warning sign. Number three, deafness to correction. Deafness to correction. Notice when David asked his servant who the woman was, actually, in most versions, the answer is in the form of a question. Uh, he said, don't you, <laughs> isn't this Bathsheba? This is what the, the servant asked him. In most versions, say, isn't this Bathsheba? Whenever you ask somebody a question and they answer you back with a question, they're trying to say something. There's, a, there's something they're saying that they're not saying. <laughs> so that's what the servant is saying. Isn't this Bathsheba? <laughs> what the guy is asking is, actually, what the guy is giving is a loaded warning. This is not a question, it's a warning. Because there's some things you need to understand there. He says, isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam? When you ask yourself, who is Eliam? Eliam, the Bible tells us that Eliam, son of Ahitophel, was one of David's mighty men. So 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 34, it lists, it, as we're listing the mighty men, we read about the mighty men. He's one of the guys listed. He's saying, her father is one of your guys. He's one of the guys who fights for you. Now, Ahitophel, because this is Eliam, son of Ahitophel, Ahitophel was actually David's most wise, wisest and trusted counselor. So he's saying, her granddad is your mentor. That's what the servant is saying. And then, Isitoshe! <laughs> you, know, you think it cannot get worse. She is the wife of Uriah. Now, who's Uriah? The same passage, 2 Samuel 23, verse 39. He's another one of the mighty men. So basically, what she's saying, the servant is saying, her father is your boy. Her grandfather is your mentor. The husband is one of your guys. But you know now, when a guy gets to a certain age, a certain level of power, you don't talk to him like that. So you just say, he's in this Bathsheba. The wife of Uriah. David can't even be corrected. In other words, these were men who had fought for him. Men who had given up everything to make him king. Men who were still out in the cold battlefield fighting for him as he was in the comfort on the roof of that palace. This was the ultimate betrayal. This was real betrayal that David perpetuated. But you know, ignoring the warning, the Bible says David sent for her. He's at that place where he can't even go get the chick himself. He sends people to do the work for him. 
sends his servant, go get her. And then he sleeps with her. And by this point of leadership, nobody can even challenge his behavior. You notice that even Joab, his commander-in-chief of the army, he sends him a a, a, an execution warrant for one of the men they fought with all those years in the desert. One of their best warriors. Sends him a, a, a warrant to kill him. And Joab doesn't even ask a question. He just does what he's asked. This is the place David finds himself in. Completely deaf. Nobody can confront him. You know, success has a way of dulling our ears. So we no longer listen to advice or correction. This happens to the best of us. Pride, ego, self-centeredness start to rise in our hearts. We begin to wonder when people ask us, who are they? Do they know what I earn? Are they the ones who made me earn this money? I made this. And we begin to wonder, do they, do, you know, <laughs> any one of you had, the, had this thing where a watchman stops you to search your boots or to check you and you're wondering, who do they think they are? Do they know every minute I'm standing here talking to them is probably more than they will earn in a long time? Okay, you guys are so spiritual. You never have any irritation when watchmen stop. It's, oh, open my boot. <laughs> no, 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 I see you. I'm there sometimes. I watch you. It's like, who do the guy think he is? And by the way, I found myself there. I'm not, I'm not trying to put me up myself above there. I find myself sometimes irritated. Like, who does he think he is? Asking me to be accountable. Does he know I could employ him? And many times, that's what success does. You begin to become deaf to correction. You begin to wonder, why are they putting me in this seat? Why are they treating me in this way? Why am I being asked to do this job? Why are they calling me as if I'm a child? You begin to ask yourself certain questions. Because at that place, nobody can speak to you. And you find yourself in a place where nobody can challenge you. Your girlfriends can't tell you that's the wrong guy for you. Nobody can actually come and tell you, by the way, have you noticed his behavior? This guy doesn't, because at that point, everybody's scared of you. They know what you're going to do. They know. And so everybody keeps a respectful distance because you're completely deaf to correction. Scale of one to five. Scale of one to five. By the way, how many friends do you know? Maybe I can, I can to, give, to give you this scale a bit of me, a meaning. How many friends do you know who can actually speak and correct you when you're going off track? Who can actually tell you that's wrong? You cannot do that. How many friends? Don't, don't put up your hand for this one. How many friends? Because this helps you now give yourself the scale. Alright, scale of one to five. Based on the number you've just given yourself. And by the way, I hope it's a realistic number and I hope those friends know they can do that. Uh, because you might be saying your friends and their friends who are like, oh, no way, I'm talking to this person about that. But on a scale of one to five, how open are you to correction? Number one is not at all. Five is completely open. Everybody, people speak into my life and I'm easy to approach, very approachable. One to five, come on, give yourself a mark right now. Very honest mark, because again, nobody's going to see this mark. This is you and God. Remember, deafness to correction is a symptom of pride. True courage Come on, let's say it together. True courage is undermined by pride. What follows next would be almost comical if it wasn't so tragic. Bathsheba sends the David the message that every dogging man fears to hear. <laughs> every dogging man here knows what that word is. What is that word? You're oh, pregnant. You're going to be a, a daddy, baby. <laughs> Or maybe it's, you're going to be a baby daddy, <laughs> whatever it is. I'm pregnant. He gets the message. He panics. He doesn't know what to do. So he does a plan by himself at this point. He can't consult because this is crazy. He sends for Uriah. He calls and, of course, Joab doesn't ask any questions. He says, the king needs you. Go. And Uriah comes, marching, and David spends a whole afternoon. Can you see that whole briefing? There's an intelligent briefing. How's Job? How's the army? What maneuvers are you guys doing? And Uriah is giving this full report, not knowing he's being played for a fool. Because David isn't listening to a word he's saying. He's just finishing his time. And then after that, David tells him, okay, guy, you've done well. You deserve it. Go home and sleep with your wife. That's the implication. Go home and wash your, go, go home and wash your feet. I think this is just a tactful way of saying, go and refresh yourself. Come on, go have, go, go have a great time with your wife, and then you'll be refreshed. You'll be ready for the battlefield tomorrow. Uriah says, no. Uriah goes and sleeps. He doesn't say no to the king. He goes and sleeps outside. David says, Why? haven't you come from far? Why don't you want to do this? Uriah tells him, how? How can I be out there sleeping with my wife, enjoying myself, and my guys are dying in the field? Can you see the implication for David there? Because he's saying, I'm fighting for you. People are dying. How could I? He's not saying, David, you're wrong for being here. He's saying, I'm not going to do it. Uriah is a righteous man. He's a team player. There's no way he's leaving his boys dying and going to enjoy himself with his wife. David isn't even deterred by that. 
he decides, okay, I'm going to get you drunk. And the idea is, you're going to be so drunk, we'll send you home. Whether you sleep with your wife or no, you won't know. And everybody will tell you, congratulations. You say, I didn't do anything. He say, how do you know? You are so drunk. <laughs> and they'll say, oh, it was that night. Oh, okay. I guess I didn't know. This is what the plan is. It doesn't work. Because here's a staggering thing. That a drunk Uriah is more passionate about the things of God than a sober David. It's a scary place to be. David still doesn't take no for an answer. And he does the most absolute cold thing. I don't even think in all the betrayal movies we ever watch that there's anything like this. He sends his friend with an execution warrant for his own death to his executioner. And he knows that Uriah is such a trustworthy man, he won't even open and read. Can you imagine that kind of trust? And he says, here. And the thing is written, kill him. <laughs> and I'm sure Job got it, thinking it's an order for the king, opened it, and then looked up. <laughs> Whatever this guy did. And so Job gets him killed and sends the order back to David. And you know what David does? The Bible says David called Bathsheba to be his wife, to stay with him. Now, this is the ultimate point of betrayal. If you thought everything else you've had has been bad, this is horrible. Because you know what happens? When somebody was widowed in those days, they were in a very vulnerable place. They needed somebody in their family to redeem them, to look after them and their children. So what David wants is for people to think, wow, what a great man. He even looks after the widows of his men and cares for them. What a guy. What a hypocrite. What a hypocrite. How did he get to this place? What a scary place. You know, it looks like David has even gotten away with it. By the way, his plans work. But verse 27 tells us something. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And here's the absolute truth in the scripture. That... <laughs> You can fool everybody. You can even fool yourself, but you cannot fool your maker. You cannot fool God. God sees all. He's everywhere. He sees it. And David cannot get away with this action. You know what we often fail to see? Some, some of us, we know this. Some of us even know this. But sometimes we even underestimate who God is. Because many people say, God, God will forgive. I mean, if I, go ahead and do it. God will forgive. But you know, the problem for David is that he... he God does forgive. God does forgive. The problem is that God doesn't take away consequences. This is something so interesting. I used to wonder, why is God like this? I mean, he forgives. He completely forgives. Why can't he take away the consequences? But you know, the thing about it is, it's actually a factor of God's love. If God wanted you for himself... Almost like a David, it would almost be like a David Bathsheba thing, wouldn't it? It's like, you have to love me, you have to serve me, he'd impress you, and you have to do what he says. God isn't like that. God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to love you, but you have to choose to love me back. And then God says, I give you the free will to choose whether to love me or to reject me. And to choose your own consequences. That is ultimate love. Choose your own consequence. And so you see, for God to forgive, God can forgive. But for him to take away consequences is not an act of love. <laughs> it's actually an act of interference with your free will. And so here's what happens to David. Look at this. This is demonstrated here. David actually asks for forgiveness, gets forgiven. But you know what happens next? Unwanted pregnancy. The murder of several of his soldiers, including one of his mighty men. The loss of trust with his most important general, Joab. By the way, he loses trust with a lot of people. I don't think Eliab ever talks to him again after that. Uh, that's not written in the Bible. But Ahitophel... His most trusted advisor crosses over to the enemy. If you continue reading the story of David, Ahitophel stops working for David. At that point, his heart becomes cold to the king. Job and the king never friends. In fact, the last command God, uh, David gives his son Solomon at his deathbed, kill Job. <laughs> I mean, man after God's own heart has lived a life, righteous king, whatever. Kill that man. And he gives all kinds of reasons. I don't think there's any reason there except this man knows too much about me. He destroys his own relationship with his uh, chief, uh, his, his commander-in-chief. But the, gener the, the consequences don't stop in that generation. That's a horrible thing. They continue to the next generation. You look next and you find that his son Amnon uh, has the same trait. It's passed along. This is what happens with, our, with, our, with the things, with the choices we make. They're passed along to our children. And what happens is Amnon has no boundaries as well. And he rapes his own sister. It, 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 it's, the Bible says, he who reaps the wind sows uh, he who sows the wind rips the whirlwind. It gets intensified in the next generation. This man rapes his own sister. And you know what happens? 
one of his brothers is so angry. One of his brothers called Absalom is so angry that his father does nothing about it and has no respect for David by this time. He kills his own brother. becomes a murderer. Again, the same thing. He killed Uriah. Now his sons are killing each other. And you know what happens? At that point, it's every man for himself. None of his sons respect him. So you know what happens? There's a coup led by Absalom. And it ends up killing many, many people in Israel. All the consequences of that one action on the rooftop. David had no idea what he was unleashing. After that, guess what happens? He has to pick up Solomon to become his successor. I've always wondered, why Solomon? Solomon was one of his youngest sons. I think the reason is because Solomon was too young to remember what his father did. All the rest did not respect him by this point. And he doesn't trust them either. And so he dies alone. Just a, a man who looks at what could have been and never was. And guess what happens to Solomon, the next generation, his successor? Takes it to the next level. Oh, this is what my old man did. He had no boundaries. <laughs> Solomon has zero boundaries. In fact, his, not, his boundaries are negative something. Because this guy, this guy marries, he has a thousand women. He, he runs after women in the hundreds. His father, left, his father was running after them in the tens. The guy runs after them in the hundreds. And he destroys the kingdom because his, his heart turns away from God. And he destroys everything that David lived for. Imagine that. That he had built his whole life to build this kingdom. And Solomon tears it down, following his own example. You know, somebody here is probably thinking, why did we ever admire this guy called David? I mean, why did I ever think this guy was an, a hero to be emulated? This is such a horrible man. But you know, that's not the point of this scripture. I think what the scripture is telling us is, if it can happen to David, it can happen to any one of us. This is why this scripture is here. It can happen to, I love the Bible because it's, it's real. It shows us that God doesn't only use perfect people. He uses imperfect people as well. If it can happen to such a, a man who loved God like David, it can happen to you as well. You know, David, at his, in his wilderness years, there's a little thing we don't notice. But in his wilderness years, he began to sow the seed for this falling. You know, you wonder, how did he just fall one day instantly like that? But you know, in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, God had clearly laid down his stipulations for kings. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 17 says, The king shall not multiply wives for himself. David by this time had about three or four, I think five wives, maybe five or six wives, and many, many children, even concubines in the process. As he had arrived, and by the way, it's when he became king that he began to multiply wives. And he began to, he, he just began to, to have, and God still was blessing him. You see, this is a problem. Sometimes God is still blessing you and you're thinking, God didn't notice. Nothing was happening. But that little boundary dropping was just an opening for Satan to come in and to floor everything that this man believed in. True courage. Somebody here, God is speaking today. True courage is undermined by pride. You know, some of you have been in a place where you've been under so much pressure to loosen your boundaries. You know, we're such a cool church, Mavuno. We accept everyone as they come and you can be yourself and enjoy God. Nobody's going to tell you what to be or what to do. I love that. And I think it's a place of grace. But sometimes what we forget is God loves us so much, He accepts us as we are. But He loves us too much to leave us that way. He does. He takes you exactly with all the mess. He'll take you. You don't have to change to come here. Come as you are. But our Father wants you to grow and to change and to be more like Jesus. And I know there are people who've come and told me, Pastor M, I, I'm under so much pressure because even friends here at Mavuno don't understand why I've chosen to be this way. Why I've chosen to put boundaries in my life. People ask you questions like, what? You don't drink? Why? Even a little. And it's like, what's wrong with you? Come on, loosen up. You don't make out. Everybody does it. How do you think you'll ever find a husband? Somebody told me that or told that. How do you think you'll ever find a husband? Be real. Loosen your boundaries a bit. How, how will the guy, he has to taste a bit before he, he makes a decision. And it's like, what do you mean? And she says, yeah, these are friends of mine, Christian friends telling me, Relax. It's because of your boundaries that you're not finding men. And some people are finding themselves under a lot of pressure because you've chosen to live a life with boundaries. But I want to tell you something. The wilderness experience is a great place for you to put those things in place that you will need when success comes. This is the time to do it. When you're still young in the faith, when you're still young as a person, this is the time for you to walk within those boundaries, to prepare yourself for the success that God has ahead for you in the future. Now, I want to conclude my, my, my sermon 
and say this. I really believe that everyone here will succeed. I really do. And I don't just mean in the faith. I think God is going to, to, part of your faith, growing in the faith will be that God will actually bless you to succeed. I pray that for this church. I say, God, you want Africa to be changed. And you're raising an army of fearless influencers. Surely they need resources. They need it. So we pray for you as your pastors. I pray for you as a pastor. But one of the things I pray is that when that success comes, it will not destroy you. It will not destroy you. Some of you are in the place where you're my age or older. You, I think you resonate with this someone probably even more than the younger people do. My wife and I were talking about it recently and we realized there's so many of our friends in their 40s, 50s, people we looked up to as mentors in the faith. And just in the last five years, we've just had, we've seen horrible things happening. Their marriages dissolving. You hear the guy left and took off with a woman who was not his wife. You hear that somebody was just completely found in a place they shouldn't have been found. And you wonder, Lord, how? This was David. This was a man after your heart. He's somebody who mentored us. And Carol and I, after hearing more than one, one too many of those stories, began to ask, what's going on? Why is it that our friends are there? And we began to realize this thing called success is actually what's undoing us. That many of us, we were so faithful to God, and God began to allow us to succeed. But success undid us. And I want to just encourage those of you who are at that age to begin to look out for each other. Begin to speak out to each other. You know, one of the things we noticed, by the way, this is just incidental. We noticed that of all our friends who are in that situation, the ones who are still serving God like we were when we were young together, they're still involved in church. By the way, some of them, they're my mentors. I, they were Christians long before I was. In fact, I'm so amazed and so honored when I see them here at Mavuno Church. I'm like, how come they're here? I should be sitting in their church. But many of them are in that place where they lead Noah groups, small groups for couples. They serve in our children's ministry. They serve in different ministries here. There's such a humility. And I'm like, there's something different. We, we noticed every couple that's like that, there's something different. Every person who's like that, there's something different. But the ones who stopped because of different reasons, they stopped serving and they, they became too busy. We've noticed again, just success began to check in. You know, there's something humbling about serving in, a media, in, in that place where nobody thanks you. There's something humbling about that. There's something that just keeps you down to earth and trusting God. And we just found that those who didn't, something began to happen to them. I want to challenge you if you're in that age, that you wouldn't stop. Some people say, you know, I served God for so long, let the young people do it for a change. No, 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 no. It's you who should be leading Mizizi groups. It's you who should be leading other people, mentoring people in how to do it. Don't stop serving God. This is a place for you to apply yourself. True courage is undermined by pride. I want to conclude my sermon and to say this. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, passion, and I'm looking forward to that. This is the last conclusion of this sermon, uh, and you want to be there because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those critical things you must guard as a Christian. Uh, but, but I want to conclude this sermon by praying. And I want to pray for somebody here who's in a place where they know their boundaries are not where they should be. Actually, as you've checked yourself in those three things, my passion is not where it should be. My boundaries are not where they should be. I'm not in a place where people can speak into my life. And as you realize that, you may be a young Christian who just came into the faith and you're realizing, my goodness, I'm so exposed. You might be somebody who's walked with God, with God for years and you're realizing somewhere along the line, these things have fallen out of my life. You may be a pastor even or a missionary. This is not about how old you are or how mature you are as a Christian. But God is speaking to you and you've been convicted through this message that you must make a difference. Second group of people are people who I want to pray for who realize you're actually in the place of compromise right now. You're actually living in a place of absolute rebellion against God. And maybe in your mind you've had this thought, God will forgive. But as I've spoken this message, you've said, you know what, I didn't understand this thing about consequences. I never want to get to a place where my children will not respect me because of the things I did. And right now God is bringing you to that place where you're saying, God, I want to confess my sin. The beautiful thing about God is our God is a God of a second chance. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you're in any one of these categories. Just stand wherever you are. Don't be in a rush because I really sense that God has something He wants to do through us in this season as a church. Come on, just stand wherever you are. If this is you, don't wait for your neighbor. Let's appreciate them as they stand to their feet. To God be the glory. Be bold enough. Be man enough. Don't let pride keep you sitting down when you should be standing up right now. Listen to your Father and stand to that place where you're saying, God, from today, I want to make a difference. 
I want to be different. I want to be truly courageous. But I know you need to do some work in my life, in this situation in my life. I bless God. There's somebody here who's no longer listening to your parents because of pride. I just sense God is saying that. That you know, even your parents, you don't listen to them anymore because you've, you've made it. And right now you're in a place of rebellion against your parents. And God is saying, I want you today to make a confession, to stand up. God has to change that in you because you cannot live against your parents in the way you are. If this is you, stand to your feet as well. There's somebody else whose marriage right now is in a mess because of your pride. Your pride has caused you to even walk away from your wife or your husband. Even if not physically, in your heart. Because you're, think, you're thinking, who, how dare they do what they did? And your pride, it's not because of anything else, it's because of your pride. And God is speaking to you right now and saying, because of that pride, you will not make it unless you confess that pride and I change it. Thank you. To God be the glory. Anybody outside as well, just stand to your feet. I'm going to ask you to stretch out your hands before yourself, before the Lord. And just say, God, forgive me. God created me a clean heart. Somebody just come before God right now like David did. Say, God, forgive me. God, help me to walk according to your ways. God, help me not to be in that place of isolation. Help me not to be in that place where there's a coldness in my heart, a loss of passion. Change me, Lord. Help me to be in a place where there are boundaries in my life. Help me to take the steps that I need to take. Lord, receive every prayer that is coming up to you from your sons and your daughters. These ones you love so much. You love them so much. And this is why this word is coming in this season of their lives. I pray that, Father, as every prayer comes up to you, Lord, you who is God, you would forgive sin. You would forgive those who have sinned against you. And that, Lord, you would bring people to that place where they accept you and walk with you in true unafraidness as fearless influencers of society. Lord, I pray begin to restore somebody right now. Lord, as you've warned them of danger, I pray that you would strengthen a resolve. I pray that every single person here would be able to share this with one other person and be able to say, pray with me, keep me accountable as I seek to put these things back in my life. And Lord, as those who have sinned and who are in a place of sin right now come to you, Lord, you're a God of a second chance. You're a God who forgives. And I know you're here to forgive. And so, Father, I thank you because you say if anyone confesses their sins, you're faithful and just to forgive them their sin and purify them from all unrighteousness. And so I thank you, Lord, that even as that confession has been made, that, Lord Jesus, you have received it and you have forgiven. And I sense that the Lord's word to you is forgiven. I do not hold sin against you. Go and sin no more. And so I bless you, Lord, for every person who's been bold enough, courageous enough to make this prayer. And I pray that, Lord, you would restore them to that place of greatness. Restore them to that place of courage that you created them for. But we pray this in Jesus' name and God's people say it. Come on, let's give glory to God. Bless, bless the Lord. Thank you, everyone who's, who's been standing. I want to pray for you and bless you. As I do, I just, one, one minute, I'm going to ask you just one minute. I know some of you have places to go, people to see. That's what important people do, isn't it? We need to do those things, and I agree, I accept. And I, please allow me one minute. I just sense there's somebody here who, pride has kept you from giving your life to Jesus or giving it back to Him. And you need to come back to your father. Your father is saying, I need you back home. Uh, you've heard the message, and you've kept postponing it because of pride. But you know what? It's time for you to stop worrying about what people will do or people will think. You need to come back home. If you're here, I want to just pray for you. Put up your hand real quick. I'm going to pray for you before we end our service and then I can release everybody. God has been speaking to you and you're saying, Pastor M, I realize my pride has been keeping me from my destiny. My pride has been keeping me from my purpose. And from today, I want to give up that pride and come back to my Father. Anybody, just raise it up real high. I'm going to pray for you real quick. Don't even worry about people around you. That's, don't, what have they to do with you and your God? Thank you so much, my sister, whose hand is raised at the corner. I thank God for you. Anybody else, just raise it up real high. We're going to thank God with you and pray with you. There's somebody else at the back, a man over there. To God be the glory for you, my brother. Anybody else? I just sense God has been speaking so powerfully to somebody. And I need to give you an opportunity. There's somebody else at the back there as well, my sister. To God be the glory for you. Anybody else? There's somebody at the back there, my brother, as well. Praise God for you. There's another brother there in purple. I see your hand as well. Praise God for that hand. Another brother there at the back as well. Praise God for you. Somebody in the overflow tent. To God be the glory for you. If you are in the mini-dome as well, raise your hand up high. There's another brother there as well at the back. To God be the glory for you. To God be the glory. Come on, Mavuno, let's appreciate every single one of this. I bless God for you. I bless God for you. I see that brother as well at the back as well. Don't be left behind. Thank you for you as well. I'm going to pray for every single one of you. I want to pray for you real quick. So if this is you, please say this prayer with me. I'm going to ask Mavuno to say the prayer with you as well. Dear Jesus, I come to you to humble myself 
forgive my sin. From this day forward, I'm coming home to my father. I will not be a prodigal anymore. Come into my life. Make me brand new. That I'll be the courageous leader that you created me to be. I give my life to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Wow. By the way, if you, if you did not get one of our usher slips, if our prayer counselor did not hand you a slip and you raised your hand or you'd still like one, look for one of our ushers. They've got some prayer slips. Write your name in that. We'd love to just send you some information to help you grow. Come on, stand to your feet, people. I want to bless you as you go out into the week. Our God is a good God, isn't he? To God be the glory. I believe that God wants to do some great things among us. Some of you have been praying for breakthrough. And you've been praying that this wilderness you've been in will end. I sense that this is God's word for you. He's saying, put some things around yourself. Begin to sanctify yourself because I want to do great things in your life. And so I want you to take God seriously through this message. Begin to put those things in place because I do believe God wants to bless His people as we align ourselves to Him. Receive God's blessing. Father, I bless your people as they go out into this week. Lord, you're looking for courageous people. You're looking for fearless people. You're looking for a people who would, who, would, who would display you in the workplaces of this nation, in the marketplace in this nation. And I speak over them, Lord, as they go out into the world, that, Lord, they would go out confident of the God they serve. I pray for a sense of humility that would be amazing to the people who come across them. People who do not need to prove themselves. People who do not need to, 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 to show off for anybody. People who have a quiet confidence and courage based on the God who is with them. And I pray that, Lord, because of that, they will be noticed. I pray because of that, that, Lord, you would give them favor. I pray because of that, you would open doors for them. And, Lord, I pray that even as you open doors for them, they would remain the humblest people. Like Moses, the humblest people. And people would say it's not because of them, but because of the God they serve. I bless you, Lord. I bless you, Lord. As we conclude, if you want to receive prayer after this service, need further prayer, our prayer tent is open, our prayer counselors will be there just to pray with anybody who just needs somebody to agree with them on something this week. I bless you now in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people say it with a shout! To God be the glory. Have a wonderful day. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell them, fearless! Fearless!